It's kind of the, the, the picture of those kind of clothes, that kind of activity. If I'm going to go to work in the public, I choose a little different sort of clothing, something that's a little more respectable of, of other people and, and my profession. And uh, just a little illustration of how that works. I used to wear a uniform that identified me as, as uh, who I was with the company I worked with. And I tried to maintain, a, my wife helped me with this, try to maintain a, a respectable outfit for that purpose. Well, one evening, I was coming home from my daily um, rounds, and I normally have someone else change all my truck, my vehicles. I used to do it some, and then I got busy and let a professional do it. But it was time for it to be done, and I had decided I'm gonna do it this time. I'd bought the uh, oil and the oil filter, and, and it, was, uh, it was there to get done, and I hadn't been to get it done. Well, I was getting home a little earlier, and sometimes I thought, this is a good time. So I wheeled in the shop, put my truck up on, on the ramp, ramps, and proceeded to change the oil. It was a little problem. I still had my intermediate-type clothes on. I had the, my worker uniform on, actually a fairly new uniform shirt. But I thought, I can be really careful. I, I know how to be careful. Uh, this shouldn't be a problem. All I got to do is, is pull that oil plug out and get away and let the oil drain out, and I'm, I'm good. Well, I didn't do this job real often, and so I didn't have my technique down. And when I reached in there to give that uh, oil drain plug the last twist, I didn't realize that my arm was going to be across the hole that the oil came out of. Well, it was a hot flash. <laughs> the hot oil and the embarrassment and the disappointment that I just ruined a good shirt. And as I thought about that, it, it, also, it also, my excuse to my wife was, well, you know, when I'm dressed up too much, I can't function very well. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? How do you like to change your car tire in your suit? It's, it's extremely difficult. It's miserable. You don't have the freedom to work. You just you have to be so careful. You can't touch anything wrong. You, you've got to do everything. I don't know if I've ever done it, but I know how it would be. And I know I've tried to work on vehicles or already make some adjustments or something, get something started with my good clothes on. And, you can't work, you can't function because you gotta respect your clothes. You know, in spiritual life, it's a lot the same way. When we're dressed in our finest, when Jesus Christ is ultimately clothing us, we will find it very difficult to dabble with things that mar that. It makes life miserable if we're tempted to do things that are inappropriate, that are the dark side or the dirty side or whatever. If we are truly clothed in Christ, those things just don't fit in our life. Difficult. And that's one reason we don't get involved, because we have Christ as our dress up. He is the one that we are representing. And so we are very out of place in places that don't identify with Christ or are not compatible with Christ. I'm saying that to make a point. When we find ourselves compatible with or easily influenced by things that uh, are of the darker nature, a darker side, it's a wake-up call as to how we're really dressed, as to whether we have Christ on or not. You know, we have, we have allowed the Internet in, in our circles with stipulations of accountability and 
filters and so on, things that protection, and, and those things are, are okay. They're actually very appropriate. But I wanna say this, that if we are not dressed properly, when we interact with that, that uh, mechanism, we are, we're setting ourselves up for failure. Because if we aren't allowing the standard of Christ's righteousness in our life to govern what we do, the decisions we make, the curiosities we don't follow, whatever, if that's not in place, then our, our accountability system is going to really be stretched. Our accountability is not to our brother, ultimately. He helps us to understand our accountability to Christ. But our accountability is to Christ and that he be our dress up. He is our shield between us and the world of, of the degradation of self, the lust of the flesh, it says here. And I want to talk a little bit about what that means a little bit later. In Romans 8, verse 17, it says this, And if we're children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also we may be also glorified together. In other words, I prefer my old duds to dressing up. You know why? It's so much more freedom. It's so much easier not to worry about getting dirty. I really enjoy work and I enjoy getting dirty. Not to be dirty, but I enjoy the freedom to be able to get dirty and not worry about it. I was at a place of I forget where I was, but I saw a, a worker doing something recently, and I was amazed at how dirty he was. I mean, he had on his everyday duds, and he was enjoying his work, evidently. I mean, dirt was not a concern to him. He could do whatever he wanted to. The freedom to just get it done. You know, there's a tendency in each one of us to like that kind of freedom in the flesh. To just... Let our flesh enjoy life, have its way, not restrict what we want. Now, I'm not saying that to say that we all have this, this dark side that we want to feed. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that the natural tendencies of our flesh need to be, they need to be resigned. They need to be actually died to with deference to the force of Christ in our life. And that takes some effort. It takes some, like I was uh, illustrating with good clothes on and wanting to do a greasy job. It, it's, it's a pain to, to try to do something with good clothes on and, and you don't have the freedom. That's a pain. It's, it's kind of like suffering. Well, you know, there's a sense in which we must be willing to suffer with Christ and be able to make that differentiation in our, re, in our spiritual reality of life that we're willing to identify with Christ and some of those natural inclinations to have that freedom to just do what we want to, it needs to be restricted. And that's suffering. And if we are not willing to have the mind of Christ and to suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. You see, if we allow those restrictions to play out in our life, then we can be... We can be clothed in Christ's righteousness and we can enjoy the glory of that righteousness in our life. You see, we sang two songs this morning for the opening. I noticed that both songs had the word joy or joyful in them. If we are willing to surrender, submit, die to self, and give ourselves to the Lord, 
it's suffering in the flesh. But you know what? In the spirit, he replaces that, that, that suffering, that pain, we call it, with joy, with fulfillment, with blessing. And it far outweighs the disappointment uh, or, of those restrictions in our flesh. And you know what I'm talking about. I know you do. But I'm just reminding you that to trade one for the other is a no-brainer. The glory with Jesus is far outweighs that satisfaction of the flesh to have freedom to do whatever. So I'd like to, for us to take a, a, a snapshot from Scripture as, and some practical application of how this works. What proper clothes look like? You know, I mentioned earlier that we have doctrines, we have standards, a standard of righteousness. <clears throat> and so we can, we can uh, understand these things, take a look at them, but we have to have the right perspective of what we're, what we're, how we're applying this to light. Now, I'd like to go back, first of all, to Romans chapter 13, where we brought, got the text. And actually, this was uh, covered somewhat in our lesson, uh, Sunday school lesson verses. We didn't spend a lot of time on them, and I thought this kind of worked out appropriately because now David didn't preach my sermon for me. I can um, tell you some things that he didn't get said. I'd like to go back to uh, Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 8. I forgot when I came in that I wouldn't be greeted with an ice cold glass of water like normal. So I had to go back out and get my bottle of water. Verse 8. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. I'll stop there just to pause to say. This is an overriding spiritual reality that if our heart is completely surrendered to God, it will be completely filled with his love that expresses itself to others. And what that's saying is, if you find yourself supernaturally, super spirituality naturally, able to love people, and you don't really understand why you do, because they don't deserve it, that's the Spirit of God at work in your life. You're clothed with the provisions of heaven to be like Christ. Unconditional love. And it says, if, you're, if that's happening, you're fulfilling the royal law of Christ. And so that's a basic overriding principle and premise. Love, what is love? Love is, is that, that giving of myself, abandoning myself for the good of others and for the mind of Christ, the ultimate. Going on in verse 9. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, nor thou, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly command, comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You see what he's coming around to. Here's the law. Here's the commandments. But really, it boils down to that if you love others more than you love yourself or as much as you love yourself, if you can even come to that standard. You see, we tend to love ourselves to the ultimate. Unconditionally, we love ourselves. We excuse ourselves. We forgive ourselves generally. There's exceptions to that. We have to work on that sometimes through the grace of God. But this is the overriding spiritual reality. Going on, it says, 
and that knowing the time that now is is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when, when we believe. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. This is actually, verse 12, I'll just pause here to, to bring this into context. Verse 12 actually is stating already what's going to be stated again in verse 14. It's just saying a little bit different. And I want to elaborate. What is the armor of light? What is light? Light is, is that, that reality of making things known. In other words, when you're in the dark, the reality can be the same, but you can't tell what it is. In the light, you can see the true reality of the material existence of things. In the spiritual realm, if we are, if we are in Christ, then we are in connection with the, the, the spiritual realities of God. And our life, if we're clothed with light, actually is a demonstration or brings into an honest reality what the truth is about the virtue and, and character of God. That's what can be seen if we're honest and open and we're clothed with light. We're clothed with, we're clothed with the righteous reality of who God is. That's what people can see and they can begin to see God through us. And it's glorious. We don't go around saying, look at me, I'm a Christian. We don't go around and say, I am somebody because I have Christ on me. Actually, there's a part of Christ that puts that in perspective. It's called humility. Christ was the ultimate in characterizing humility. And so if we're clothed in Christ, we're going to demonstrate that humility. Well, that's another subject. <clears throat> in in um, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16... Let's see, I haven't quite finished here in Romans 13. Let me finish reading those verses. And, and I wanted to point out this. I already uh, alluded to it, but it says, let us walk honestly. You see, there is what unmasks the darkness. When we allow the reality, the spiritual realities to honestly and, and truth reveal themselves through us. We're acknowledging ourselves for who we really are. That means we, we repent of our sin. We accept Christ in in, in, in obedient faith and then he can clothe us so that the reality spiritual realities are light where we are and then it talks about again the works of darkness let us walk honestly in, as in the day not in rioting and drunkenness nor chambering or wantonness nor not in strife and envying these are the from the the, the side of the flesh the lust of the flesh but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. And I wanted to make this comment before we went further. And that is, what are the lusts that's talking about? What is lust? We think of lust as being that inordinate affection toward things that are in, uh, not permissible for purity and, and holiness. But it goes way beyond that. That is true, but it's beyond that. Lust is any appropriate desire or appetite out of control. That is, that, that we are exercising out of self-interest for my own purposes and desires that are inordinate. You see, our appetite for food is very wholesome, very appropriate, very necessary for health and life. But if it's out of 
out of counter, if, if we are overdoing it, if we're indulging too much just to pl please the flesh out of, out of inordinate appetite, that is, an, uh, a, that is an appropriate desire gone bad. And there's many of those. There's, there's, uh, we, we want respect from others. It's appropriate. We don't necessarily go out and try to drum it up, but we appreciate that when we operate according to God's principles, that other people respect that, and we have this mutual uh, appreciation for each other. But you can have an overreactive, uh, insatiable desire for that appreciation, and you can actually almost uh, be offended by people not paying attention to you, not giving you respect, and, and it's because you want yourself gratified with this respect that you don't feel like that could be the lust of your flesh going beyond what's appropriate. I had to explain to a, a sister one time who was having an extreme emotional uh, trauma in her life. And actually, it, it had gotten very serious. And when I sat down with her and talked with her about her problem, I discovered that she was really upset with somebody that was disregarding her and not giving her respect she needed. And the Lord, I didn't have this pre-planned. The Lord was guiding. He'd answered prayers. I opened my Bible and opened it to James 1. And he talked about the lust, inordinate lust, whatever. I, I, I can't quote it now. And, and the Spirit directed me to say, your desire for respect from that person that's giving you so much trouble is lust. It's inordinately expressing itself in your life. You're demanding it. You've got to have it or you can't be happy. And, and she was able to see it, repent of it, and go on with life. And actually has a number of times thanked me for James 1. Well, it wasn't me. It was the Lord. But she said every now and then she starts to struggle with some of those feelings. She goes to James 1 and reads it. And right there it says, you've got to deal with it. And so lust can be anything that's inordinately appropriated in self-interest and self-gratification that's counter to God's wanting to work in our life and bring the, the gratification, the spiritual fulfillment that he wants to put there. We substitute too often in our own ability, our attempted ability to satisfy ourselves, do it our way, actually turns into flesh gratification. And that causes us trouble. It, it causes us to be undressed, uh, our nakedness, of our human carnal carnality begins to show itself. We're not dressed properly. If we want to be dressed properly, we want to be pure and holy <clears throat> and modest spiritually, then people should only be seeing Christ being expressed from our life. Yes, there's always that human element that allow, uh, that, that can wiggle its way in and we can find ourselves having a shortcoming uh, yes, we may not be dressed quite like we should, and the Spirit reveals it. We need to confess, repent, confess to God, sometimes to the person we have affected wrongly, and get it right, and be clothed again. Well, now I want to go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. I mentioned that we can try, in our own, our own abilities, to... to uh, live a righteous life and get it done right. We can, we can open up uh, the book on Daniel Kaufman's book on doctrines of the Bible. We can memorize that thing and attempt to live according to Daniel Kaufman and we still don't have it right. However, 
Daniel Kaufman's book is a very helpful book to help us understand what might be out of place in our life that we need to get back to square one and be dressed properly. And so doctrines of the Bible, and, and I've been thinking about this recently. I haven't said anything to the ministry here or uh, made this comment, but I've been wondering if we, myself included, have been a little bit shy in preaching doctrinal messages. We've been pretty good at preaching messages that are, are uh, practical applications to life and encouragement to worship and to, to have a right attitude toward God and some of those things, and that's great. And so I've been thinking that maybe I need to put a special punch into our, our ministers' minds to, to maybe focus some more on more basic doctrines. Well, as I studied this message, I was thinking I would turn it into that kind of a, mes a message, and I'm going to just a little bit. But what I discovered is that we're hearing a lot of doctrine. It's not called a doctrinal message. But in the practical application of truth, you're hearing doctrinal perspectives into your life. And I'm going to point that out. I'm going to show you that here in just a little bit. But in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. You see, the things that it does for us, the, the Scriptures, by God's inspiration, they're available for us for doctrine. What is doctrine? It's, you might say, the science about how to relate to the spiritual realities of God. In obedience to these, these truths that we see that align themselves with God's mind and the teaching of those and the, the uh, bringing them, imbibing them in our life. That's, that's kind of a, a one way of defining doctrine. And so it's profitable. The scripture is profitable for that. Also, it talks about reproof and for correction. Oh, so when we see truths in the Bible, we see doctrine here that, that we see we're not aligning with, then it can bring correction in our life. Not that we, again, I want to stress this. I hope I don't overstress. It's not that we, we just patch up our life and put a Band-Aid over a problem in our life so that uh, I try harder to do better on this perspective, but rather we, we come to it the right way. We acknowledge our undress before God and ask him to clothe us by his spirit to carry out these things from an attitude of, surrender and obedience in our faith. That's how we get there properly. So I decided to look up some doctrines. I got Daniel Kaufman's book out and I, I leafed through it. I'm not going to give you an extended list, but I just want to give you a taste of some of the doctrines that are in scripture. <clears throat> we have the doctrine of God and that's a whole section and about, about who he is, that he was a creator, how he created and some of those things. We have the, the doctrine of salvation. I had actually made a list of doctrines and then I discovered that they, some, a lot of my doctrinal uh, items were sub-doctrines. They weren't the focus doctrine, they were actually tucked in under another doctrine. And so uh, the doctrine of salvation has a number of sub-doctrines and I'm gonna share those with you. Uh, it, we have atonement, the doctrine of redemption, faith, repentance, justification, conversion, regeneration, Adoption, sanctification, those are all doctrinal issues, but they all come under the heading of salvation. Then we have the doctrine of the church, and, and there's more than I'm going to mention, but we have these doctrines that tuck in under the umbrella of the church and, and what it stands for and, and what all uh, uh, brings the church into reality. And here are some of those sub-doctrines. baptism, communion, marriage, order of headship, and on and on. There's a pretty long list there. That's, that's as many as I'm going to. And then we have 
uh, and, and again, this, this is a man's perspective on putting these together, and I think it makes sense. I wouldn't say I'd argue with you if you want to elevate one of these to the, the doctrine status, but, and he doesn't even call them sub-doctrines. It's just the way it's listed in the book. But then they have a section on the Christian life. That's, there's doctrine about the Christian life, and that's the one that you hear a lot of sermons about doctrinally, but they're not called that. But here's some of the things that come under that. And, and this is the one that I thought, I had three doctrines, or two doctrines that, that we say are Anabaptist doctrines, they're key doctrines that identify the Anabaptists. And, and I'm concerned sometimes that we maybe focus on these two doctrines and we try to live accordingly, and then if they, we do that, then we're good Anabaptists, and we're good Christian, and we're clothed with, with Christ. Uh, remember what I've said about that. But here are those sub-doctrines to the Christian life. Separation and nonconformity. Love and non-resistance. You see, those are two that really show themselves in the Anabaptist faith, that what we call the historic Anabaptist faith. Some more that come under the Christian life is prayer, obedience, worship, self-denial, purity, humility, and the Christian's hope. All these are aspects of our doctrine, our belief system, our understanding of God's mind. But they all need to come out of our life because of our obedient faith in Jesus Christ. Galatians 5, 16 and 17 says this, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit. How do you walk in the Spirit? I'm not going to answer that. I want you to think about it some more. We've already heard some about today. And ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Hmm. If you're walking in the spirit, you're going to be dressed up. You can't go out and do things that are just, and we'll say, spiritually casual. That can bring you to spiritual casuality. Well, we're naked unless we're properly dressed, and I'm going to give you several verses that help us to think and focus on this, and then I'm going to close. Galatians 5:17, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit. We've already looked at this one, but this this is really it needs to be focused. The flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one or the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Colossians 3:9 says, Lie not one to another seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. That's taking off our, <clears throat> you might say, our worldly clothes. Our carnal perspectives. We've, we've put that aside. We've, that goes off with the old man. But then in verse 10 it says, And have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. And so coming to church, listening to sermons, discussing Sunday school lessons, fellowshipping with each other, especially about spiritual things, reading our own Bible and our own devotions at home, our prayer life, all these things are contributors to renewing our knowledge. And when we renew our knowledge, we have this, it, it brings about the desire to 
to know the person behind the knowledge. That's what it says here. That the new man is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. You see, we're not trying to become a, an example of little Christ on our own effort, but rather because of relationship with him. And we have that joy in our heart because of, of obedient surrender to what we know is his will, the knowledge of, of the character of Christ in our life. It's in response to that with obedience, humility, self-denial. And I, I missed repentance there. Repentance is so key that when we have knowledge of our undress or works of darkness that are actually that, that we repent of those things. And in obedience, we put on the new man. We allow the spirit. Putting on the new man sometimes sounds like we pull ourselves up on bootstraps. Putting on the new man is actually surrendering to the, re, to the response of God to our request for his spirit control. That's putting on the new man. And so I want to encourage us about how we're dressing. Now, you know, you might have thought I was going to talk about properly dressing for church and the way you dress at work and some of these things, and they're important. But I want to say this, that if you really, really want to get it right out there in the way you do it, you've got to get it first right with the Spirit dressing us. And then, it might not come not normally or all at once, it comes by knowledge. We seek God, we seek His will, we keep reaching out and being fulfilled by His Spirit teaching us, and we become more able to completely comply to his will. And so, again this morning, I look out across the congregation, and I, I just feel like I see a well-dressed congregation. But only you know what the Spirit is saying to you is some undress. And I just encourage us each to let God bring us to the image of Christ Continually bringing us back more completely in compliance with the image of Christ. And you know, <clears throat> sometimes I find myself surprised at how that looks and how it works. And I can tell it's happening sometimes by the joy I have in my heart when circumstances would indicate it should be otherwise. That's often a way you know that you're dressed right. May the Lord add his blessing. Let's stand for closing prayer. <clears throat> Again, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the provisions that you have made for us to be able to have the armor of light, of being able to express the realities of your character and your virtue through our life. And we thank you so much that you've given us the agent that allows it to happen, causes it to happen. And Father, you've given us the privilege of activating our, our faith, you've given us the gift of the ability to have faith, and we just ask that you will help us to reach out more, to be more conformed and more properly dressed spiritually in a way that reveals your character, your reality to the world around us and even to each other. And Father, we know that this takes surrender, submission, humility. It takes love, surrendering ourselves. We just pray that your spirit will minister to us in a way that is is tremendously beneficial in allowing your church to be what it should be in this world, bringing light where there's darkness. So I commit each one here.
through your spirit's call and, and work. May we each one have that blessing of joy in our lives as we commit to you. We thank you again. We praise you in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. Greetings to each one. It's good to be back in the Lord's house. <clears throat> in light of Marie's ongoing health concerns, uh, she's been sheltering in place pretty religiously. And it's interesting that she makes a comment every now and then that this isn't new to her. She did that for six months while she was, or almost a year, while she was dealing with her, her um, pneumonia situation. And so it's an ongoing process at home, and I try to be very careful. Uh, I was so thankful for her sake. Now, I don't want to get sick either, but I realized that if I don't take care of myself, I could put her in jeopardy. So you may see me take extreme measures at times that normal people wouldn't. When I walked up to the door this morning coming in, I was so glad to see it was open. I didn't have to put my glove on to open it. But then I remembered my water, and I went out to get it, and it was closed. So I had to put my glove on to open the door. When I go to town, I wear a glove on one hand usually to open the door, and I leave one hand bare, so I, that's for me to answer my cell phone or get my pocket or whatever. So it's kind of, you know, you, you sort out your personal situation, and we all have these things to, to work through. Um, and, and we need to be careful we don't judge other people because of the way they do or don't do things. Um, each, each person needs to sort through that. But there's one thing that I, I would say that has come through to me. It's, it's kind of difficult to sort out what we're doing some of these things for. We've been told by people to do things that almost sometimes we think may, may border on taking some of our rights away that we should have as a Christian and so on. And, and that brings us to the point of having to make some decisions or at least puts us in a situation where we think of needing to make decisions that come out right but there's one thing I think we need to keep in mind and that is the pandemic is not man induced now some would say yes it is uh, but God is in ultimate control and he probably could have allowed this pandemic to happen 25 years ago he did allow it to happen 100 years ago and so we need to be careful and realize that when we're submitting to this to what this brings into our life we're not necessarily submitting to men we're submitting to God and, and, and as long as what, how men govern and, and request things and so on, there is a point if they infringe on our, or they ask us to go beyond what's proper for me in my serving the Lord, then I need to, I need to make a call on that. And that's the, the tough part, is knowing where, where that is. And we need to have some forbearance with each other in, in that, but we also, on both sides, need to be respectful of the reality of what's happening and our responsibility to respond properly. 
Now that's not what I was supposed to talk about this morning. Uh, just on mine, <clears throat> I haven't been circulating in public unless necessary very much. I haven't been to church a whole lot out of respect to the situation at home. I had actually not put myself in a position to need to preach until August to give some time for this to dissipate, but uh, Brother, Brother Jer uh, Josh Good was scheduled for this morning and he had a conflict and he asked if, he, if I could trade. And I felt like, well, it's not undoable. I can try to do that. So I'm here this morning and I'm glad I am. It's been a while. For the message this morning, I've taken the liberty to expand on what we had in our Sunday school lesson this morning. I don't do that very often, but this morning I've taken the liberty to do that. And no, nothing about uh, Brother David's uh, conducting that part of the service. I appreciated what he had to share and how he brought us into that, that lesson. But as I was read, recently reading Romans chapter 13, verse 14 kind of stuck out to me and it wouldn't go away. I kept processing it and I began to realize I believe here is a message coming. And so for the message this morning, I want us to consider Romans 13, verse 14 is our text verse. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh, to fulfill the lust of the flesh. And the message title this morning is, Are You Properly Dressed? Now, if I had told you the lesson title, message title first, you may have thought I was going in some other direction. But I've already given you a clue as to where I'm headed with this question. It has mostly a spiritual perspective. Are you properly dressed? What does dress have to do with life? Well, it's a reality. It came along with sin. It, when, uh, when sin was born, uh, was introduced into the human race, so was clothing. It all came together. Now. It's interesting how that there is a correlation in some of the illustrations that are given and so on, and we'll see that here this morning. Another version, uh, actually it's called the uh, Montgomery New Testament translate, uh, version, and this verse says it differently. Uh, it, I think it explains it a little better. It says this, but clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for your earthly nature and the gratification of its fruits. Or it's, a, I'm sorry, I read that wrong. The gratification of its lust. And so that was what came to me when I was thinking about this. And this, this verse, this translation or this version kind of uh, helps, helps me feel like I was looking at it right. Put you on, put on Christ. Now, one of the things that I have noticed or thought about about our Christian life experience is that, and in my last message, I talked about this a little bit, that we can kind of get it, get it down properly as to what's expected of us to walk and demonstrate a righteous life. We can actually kind of do it by habit. We can actually do it because it's part of our past. It's what we understand. It's what we do. But we need to always allow that righteous life to be produced by an inner spirit motivating and bringing grace into our experience to bring it to fruition in reality of what you see 
In other words, the righteousness of God shouldn't be because I have read the rules and I adhere to the rules. It should be because I know the rule maker and he puts it in my heart to do things the way he says it. And, and the rules are there for a purpose, and that is I can evaluate how I'm doing. But they don't set the parameters for how I operate necessarily. They do help me understand when I don't have the heart right and I need to get things in compliance with God's spirit. I can see I have work to do, but I'd, rather than try to just prop up my righteous life and better living, I need to know the master. I need to be clothed. I need to be in Jesus Christ and he in me, bringing about his will and purpose for my life. Galatians chapter 3 verse 27 says, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You see, baptism is when we make an outward proclamation of our determination by faith to accept the provisions of Christ for our salvation and our redemption and our life. And then we are, in a sense, obligated to do what we said we'll do. That's baptism. It's that renouncing of, of the world, renouncing of the flesh, renouncing of myself with the understanding that by faith and obedient faith, I'm going to serve the Lord. That's putting on Christ through baptism. Also, uh, in, in the other translation I referred to, this verse is stated this way. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. And so when people see us, what do they see? How are you dressed in other people's eyes? Do they see Christ on your life? Do they see that you're another example of the spiritual reality of who Christ is, uh, how they observe your life, but what happens? You see, the way your righteous life plays out is a demonstration of the power within, the reality of Christ's spirit within you, and, and it's interesting how that if we have Christ's spirit within us, then we have Christ on the outside. And I want to explore some of how that works and how it looks. But before we get to that, I have a little illustration I, I want to, uh, I think I've, re I know I've referred to this before, but it's so interesting how clothes affect us and we affect our clothes. We make the decision every day as to what we're going to put on. We make the decision every day that we're going to be clothed, that we're going to cover our bodies. It's not something that we decide once and then it's always taken care of but it's something that needs to be done daily. And not only that we will do it, but how we do it, what we put on, what it looks like, how it affects whatever. And often the daily uh, expectations of our daily activities have something to do with what we put on. If I'm going to go out and, and work in the barn, I have a certain kind of clothes that I pick out of the closet and put on. They allow me to express myself without a lot of hindrances. In other words, they're clothes that are expected to get dirty and to be laundered soon. That 